Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. On June 10th, Impact Boom hosted the Multicultural Impact Entrepreneurship Experience, bringing together our community for a workshop, networking, and informative discussion on multicultural business in Queensland and more broadly in Australia. The panel conversation and audience Q&A focused on accelerating multicultural entrepreneurship with the aim of advancing the conversation forward. Mary Juria, Santiago Mejia Costa, Kim Rollison-Noakes, Etienne Rue, and Carolina Velasa-Parker shared key insights and experience during a lively panel discussion moderated by myself, whilst the audience participated with some strong comments. Impact Boom would like to thank Brisbane City Council for their support, the Unis Social Business Centre for providing a great venue in catering, and the speakers, participants, and guests, which represented over 15 different nationalities. Let's cut over to the conversation. Thanks very much for joining us at the Multicultural Impact Entrepreneurship event. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land, the Trubal and the Yagara people, the lands where we gather, and pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. So to kick things off, I'd like to introduce our different panelists. Starting on my left, we have Carolina Velasapaca, and Carolina is a Brazilian designer, a marketer, and entrepreneur passionate about sustainable design and social change. She's the founder and creative director of Brisbane-based branding studio Amora Creative, where she collaborates with nonprofits and social enterprises to bring a contemporary approach to marketing and design for mission-driven brands. Navigating the overlap between purpose and profit, Carolina also facilitates business visioning workshops and develops creative content for startups looking to develop a meaningful brand that translates impact from the inside out. Welcome along, Carolina. Next up, beside Carolina, we have Kim, Kim Rollison-Noakes. And Kim is a social entrepreneur passionate about the role of education, training and employment in driving social change. And after 12 years in the nonprofit and community service sectors, Kim left a role working in refugee and migrant settlement in 2017 to start her social enterprise, Ethne. In 2019, so this year, she also started Mantua Sewing Studio, and both social enterprises are dedicated to providing innovative and meaningful training and employment opportunities for women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. So welcome, Kim. Next up, we have Etienne Rue. Etienne has experience across a number of senior management, advocacy and consultancy positions across the social services industry in Australia. He's been working at Access Community Service Limited for over nine years and currently leads the business disruption and innovation team, responsible for business development, research, grants and tendering activities for the Access Group. And he also leads a called specialist domestic and family violence program for Southeast Queensland. And it's a general manager of Harmony Place, Center of Multicultural Mental Health and Wellbeing and a specialist mental health and disability service provider in Queensland. 
ETM has a focus on working closely with the key stakeholders to transform the way community services are delivered under the guiding principles of human-centered design, agile, lean, startup, business disruption and innovation. Welcome Etienne, it's great to have you here. Working your way along, Santiago Mejia Acosta is the founder of Yakut Latin Goods, which is a Brisbane-based social enterprise that supports health and education projects from a global community perspective. Alongside his co-founder, Gabriela Gallardo, they have strategically combined their professional skills in marketing management, business and project management with their personal belief and commitment to help reduce social inequality. Through their business model, Yaku imports organic and ethical products from Latin America, traded organic markets in Brisbane, and part of the profits goes to supporting two community projects, creating a positive social impact in the lives of 500 children. Thanks for joining us. And finally, we have Mary Juria. Mary Juria is the founder and CEO at SpringUp, a club for micro-businesses, startups, and budding entrepreneurs. Mary believes that migrants deserve a good start, and so she wants to make startup education services and a network accessible to all. Being a migrant, an extreme introvert, and a mother to three, Mary faced many challenges when starting SpringUp with zero contact, zero entrepreneurial background, and very limited resources. She wants mentoring programs and resources to be made accessible to all, so more and more people can be empowered to do greater things. Thanks for joining us, Mary. So to kick things off, over to the panelists. What I'd like to start on is learning a little bit about your experience. What are some of the key challenges that you believe refugees, migrants, and asylum seekers face when they're trying to start a business? I think that's, a, that's an interesting question, but I think I would separate the experience of um, refugees and asylum seekers to migrants, I think. I'm a migrant. I chose to come to, to, come to Australia. Um, I got here. I already spoke the language. I already had a, a permanent residency. So I didn't really face the same challenges that I know um, asylum seekers, for example, do. Um, so, yeah, I, felt, I think I was really privileged in my experience because I, didn't f I felt like I was prepared to connect the minute that I got here. I had, a, a, I think, um, a desire to, to build a network of friends. So that was sort of my immediate motivator. You know, my drive was to, if there's a workshop, I'll go. If there's a coffee with someone, I'll go. Um, if there's, you know, Pilates or yoga, I'll, I'll go and I'll connect with th that group of women. And that's how I started to talk about what I do and what I'm passionate about. And then these connections became business connections down the track. Um, so I feel like, yeah, I, I would firstly make that mark that it, I think it's very different. I, I wasn't, um, I felt excited about being here and I felt I had the support network of my husband who is Australian. So that also made a huge difference and I had um, an immediate connection, I think, that a lot of migrants and new arrivals don't have. Yeah, and I think in terms of starting a business, it was it was really I felt like there was a lot of hard work to um, even to learn the, you know learn how to speak my message and how to communicate what I was about and my values and my vision without hesitation and without feeling like am I making a mistake? Is this going to be relatable for the people I'm connecting with? Um, I guess another interesting and kind of different experience that I had was I made friends with Australians first. I didn't, for whatever reason, 
Um, I don't really have many Brazilian and Latin American friends here, so it was it was an interesting way to assimilate because I kind of fell in this group of Australians and and um, um, yeah, just basically. I was the the only uh, foreigner in my group, and if and if I kind of could see it as a positive thing, well, at least they they received me as if uh, with that mentality. This is an interesting, you know, we want to hear your perspective, we want to hear what you have to say. So I felt really welcomed, and I know that this is not the experience that a lot of people have. Yeah. Um, I guess from a refugee and asylum seeker perspective, then some of the challenges can. Uh, very much be you mentioned, um, Caroline, about um, already speaking the language. Um, so we've talked a lot today in the workshop about arriving in a new country and not not speaking the language, not just necessarily the language like being able to speak English, which is a massive one, um, but also if wanting to start a new business, speaking the business language. And we've discussed today around business jargon, understanding the compliance issues, how to set up a business, um, expectations of you um, and I think every country is different from some people may who may have been in um, had businesses in their their home countries where they could set up and and start trading and 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 hustle an income to coming here and wanting to do the same but having a lot of barriers around um, yeah around the compliance getting an ABN what does that mean um, marketing to a whole new community and um, yeah, so I think that those are some of the challenges to understanding. I work in an employment-based social enterprise, so understanding the Australian work environment, understanding what's expected of you in that environment, um, and family and cultural expectations of what's happening at home to being able to then also maybe be employed or start a business as well. So there's probably some of the challenges as well that we have discussed today. Yeah, and just building on Kim's, um, you know, background from working with migrants, um, refugees and asylum seekers, I think specifically for a lot of asylum seekers that come over here, a lot of difficulties and depending on what visa type you are on, are you allowed to work in the country? Are you allowed to start a new business? Um, what is the expectations of actually sending back money to your family or even to the people that smuggled you to come to Australia as a possibility? What is that pressure looking like? What's that expectation? I guess more broadly for migrants, refugees and asylum seekers, one of the difficulties we see at Access is that um, a broader support network, um, you know, people might not have their own family, might be extradited from their own community um, at times and then working with some of those hardships trying to navigate starting a business as well. And that's not even limiting the support of the broader Australian network, which is the power of innovation and starting a business is actually being entrenched in culture, like Carolina kind of explained in her experience, have been really an interesting um, point of view of differentiating what startups and social enterprise um, look like in you know people from different cultures settling in Australia. Well, I guess that starting a business, even in your own country, is already a big challenge. Uh, there's a huge amount of things that you wish you know, you know um, but if you add all those challenges already here in a different culture, in a different country, uh, with a different language, so that is even uh, more and more challenging, of course. Um, so for there's a big difference as... Uh, 
Carolina was mentioning before, a big difference that from, for example, a refugee or asylum seeker to a migrant, we as migrants have decided, have chosen to come here to Australia by our own means, and we, we were somehow ready and with that mentality of, okay, that's my goal, I wanna do it, and I need to find the best way on how to overcome all these challenges that I'm going to be facing. Some of the challenges I knew uh, previous to, to coming here and many other challenges, uh, just I, I went finding them as I was walking already this, this road, no? Um, on my personal uh, enterprise, uh, one of the big challenges is exactly where to start. So do you go right? Do you go left? Uh, where to start finding all the, that information? and how to adapt to a new culture. Uh, that product in one country does not necessarily adapt uh, to another country. So trying also to understand the local culture, uh, it's definitely a challenge that needs to be targeted right from the beginning uh, in order for you to have a uh, nice, nice success. You know? And of course, the why. The why you are uh, attempting to, to follow that um, enterprise. You know? So what is your main purpose? It's hard to be the last, <laughs> but uh, yeah, there are three more things probably I, that I could add. Um, as a mother, uh, what I've uh, experienced myself is um, being able to juggle between, uh, you know, pick up, drop off, and pick up, and your your, your many different activities, and try to do um, as many things as you can, um, and be flexible to do it in any anywhere you can. <laughs> um, so yes, um, uh, juggling. Uh, your time and uh, managing between your, you know, home duties and caring for the, your your children and um, trying to st start a business is one challenge. Um, in other, in the Philippines where I came from, we have, um, you know, uh, other. Uh, people we can rely on, families and um, nannies who can look after the kids. We don't have that here. Um, second is the transportation. So especially for other migrants um, who have come here and um, they don't have any experience driving, uh, really it's a very basic thing, but being able to get around and have your own license, being able to drive, then that makes a lot more things more accessible uh, to you. And not being able to drive, it just limits your opportunities, let's put it that way. So driving is very important and it's a big challenge to some migrants that I've known. Uh, third one is, um, apart from transportation, it's a building contacts really, building contacts from, 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 from zero. Um, especially in my case, knowing who to trust, where to go to, you know, to build that connection and to establish that trust, it takes time. So more than anything, I think um, it's uh, important that you allocate time um, to, to build that relationship um, and uh, build contacts. Okay, um, my name is Sabelo Oktardese from South Community Hub. Uh, I think another thing I want, I myself being in here um, from um, settling, from working, having experience, uh, speaking the language and have the right connection in the beginning, it's easy uh, to live life. But the people I work with and the community I was leading with is the biggest problem is the cultural, uh, how the business culture itself, uh, like how you can, I mean, language has been talked, but uh, mostly the state of frame, for example, um, people can start business, the other one 
you know, similar business continue doing similar things, but sometimes the limitation of that in here to do that, and then shifting that cultural thinking is also uh, one of the things it's which not been told in the beginning, especially in the, I, I talk the refugee and asylum seekers, mostly from refugee background, humanitarian interests. They have that really. Um, enthusiastic to do something to start a good life, to support themselves, to support their family, and the biggest responsibilities back home where they left them in refugee camp or uh, their own homeland. So that is a pressure, and uh, they, some of them, they were able to do some business in refugee camp in the second country. Uh, they start up, it's really, it's easy, they manage, they actually, only the safety matter, and then when they come in here, it, the whole culture is different and the hopelessness, the feeling of that, that entrepreneur will actually be killed in the beginning if it's not get the right support and which not actually often in the settlement service, uh, you will be getting, you, you can employ this and that, but there's nothing, a toolkit to how to start up and going from here there. Uh, I think that is the biggest challenge, and I think it's really important to have that at the beginning, a toolkit, how you can start business and get the lead on that space. Thanks very much for all those, those really interesting insights. So I'm curious to hear how might entrepreneurs from diverse backgrounds best collaborate and be supported to help further their ideas and turn them into impact? and where does support currently exist and where is there gaps in the support that exists? We've just heard an, of an example. Who would like to kick off? I guess events like these are fundamental towards um, supporting you know, the communities. Um, one of the most difficulties that we've had is you know, the knowledge is out there. We've heard from you know, representatives from different government um, you know, authorities today from you know, the different types of incentives available for starting a business, the information's on the website. Um, I guess what, what are the things that we've really found um, in supporting some of these areas is, is creating some of those unique partnerships with local councils in saying how can we um, streamline some of the support and provide some targeted community education in relation to how to start a business and do that ongoingly. We definitely advocate for, um, for additional um, support and services from local councils and from other government representations to run these type of initiatives sustainably, sustainably in partnerships with organisations like Impact Bloom to go, you know, how do we not just run a once-off workshop, you know, or once a quarter and saying how to start a business. We're in a growing um, market and globalisation and the opportunities is vast. Um, and, you know, like one of our members said from the audience, you know, people have the energy to do it. Um, so really finding that opportunities that we can continue to expand on community education and capacity building initiatives. Um, you know, some of the programs that we run at Access Community Services, we've got a, uh, a similar a program called Ignite, which we run in New South Wales as well, which is helping with startups. Um, you know, and the fundamentals around that is um, you know, supporting a range of businesses to start. Unfortunately, the, f the, the investment for supporting that community education programs is lacking, um, you know, considerably. And even more so when we go to regional communities um, in that also do have a lot of passion, um, we require additional investment to really see, you know, how can we facilitate the education coming through. 
but also one of the things we found work really well is um, events like this um, that can be sustainable, networking with existing social enterprises and really getting um, an ongoing facilitation of that happening in your city um, you know, can really exponentiate a lot of the issues that we've discussed as a starting point. I think, yeah, t going um, on further on from what Etienne was saying, um, the education can't just be one-off workshops. I think that's where there's a really big gap at the moment in small business is that, uh, you know, whether it's government authorities or councils will go, oh, great, here's a one-off small business workshop and in those two hours you should know everything you need to know to start your business. But of course, just before we are talking about all the challenges which that workshop doesn't really provide the long-term meaningful support and full holistic view of what it takes to start a business um, in, you know, a two-hour or one-day workshop. So, you know, I was lucky enough to be part of the Impact Boom Elevate Plus Accelerator Program and that went over a period of four months and even at the end of that we're still going, okay, we're still hungry for knowledge and being then a part of, I guess, a broader um, social e ecosystem here in Queensland has been massive for that ongoing support. So I think that there's a really big gap um, for long-term meaningful tailored um, programs to support multicultural communities to starting businesses. The second um, point I want to make is the understanding of what a social enterprise is. And I think there's a lot of um, people wanting that have this kind of passion of starting a business and I think also a big passion I've, I've found from working with young people from refugee and asylum seeker backgrounds who are very, very passionate about making change in their communities and contributing to their new communities here in Australia. And I think there is a lack of understanding about what social enterprise is and the ability to bring both that understanding and that drive for starting a business with the passion for making a difference in the community together and how to do that. I think that our communities are unique, these people wanting to start businesses in these communities are uniquely placed to address the needs in their communities also. So I think a broader understanding of what social enterprise is and how they can build um, those meaningful outcomes and a meaningful impact into their businesses is really important as well. Continuing with uh, social enterprise, at the end, uh, it's it's quite new. It's a quite recent concept, this social enterprise, but uh, it's go been going on for 10, 20, 30 years, not more. It's quite recently, relatively. Uh, however, it should, it should be the norm, right? Social enterprise, I mean, you contributing to your community, to the environment, to culture, that should be the norm. So to start off uh, right there, right now we know here in Australia, especially here in Queensland, uh, there's a big um, trend, uh, there's, a, there's a huge boom in social enterprise and all this support that is uh, becoming available more and more, uh, which is really good. And this, uh, by the day, by the month, there's more and more information available. However, it should really be the norm. That would be an, an, an optimal scenario, no? Um, going back to collaboration, which is really felt in this environment, as opposed to, let's say, uh, normal corporations or academia in another uh, sector, uh, in the social enterprise environment, there's a lot of collaboration, and I have felt that, which is very positive, and if you are uh, 
if you are uh, on the right time and you have the right attitude to make the most out of that collaboration, it could get you really far. Um, I had the opportunity, the great opportunity and privilege to be part of the uh, Elevate Plus program, uh, which is a social enterprise accelerator program last year. Um, and one of the best things about all this networking and all these uh, opportunities uh, that we have been provided up, uh, about, uh, one, of the, um, one of the main things is, uh, yes, finding where you're going, uh, and the how you are going to do it becomes a consequence, all right? How you want to get to point A or point B. So that's, that's your North Star. How you're going to do it? Well, this, this way, this way, this way. But the why, I think, is, is key in that sense. And uh, personally, for our business and for the, some of the businesses that we were part of in, the, in this program last year, was uh, the exposure at the end. Once you have overcome this and this and this challenge, and you have already a product or a service, uh, one of the gaps that I would uh, find or identify is points of sale. So how to put your word out there to, to be able to, to make a profit out of, out of uh, your business, no? In terms, we, we, we know there's a lot of education and services around. There's so many to the point that it can become overwhelming. Um, but in, I'd really like to focus on making these things accessible to more and more people. So when we speak, for instance, of events for education, um, I guess I think we need to talk more about how we can help each other make this reach, I mean, make this accessible to more and more people. So let's say mothers, um, uh, refugee moms, um, you know, with caring duties, and they have, they don't have our, uh, they're not as flexible in terms of hours. Um, in uh, accessibility, they're not as accessible, I mean, they, they're not as flexible in terms of getting into venues like this. So these these um, kind of things are, that, that I think there's, there's there, there. We'd like to see, or I'd like to hear. We'd like to hear more conversations and on how we can all collaborate to make these events like this um, more accessible. And I mean, there are events where um, you know that's um, uh, they they make an effort to make it so welcoming to people from different cultures, uh, from the food to, you know, the set of panelists and um, the speakers and you know, the setup of the room and, you know, um, the music, all these things, the venue, the, the location. Um, again, it's all about making it accessible and that's really, really good. Uh, because if we don't, uh, if we don't make an, an effort, that kind of an effort, then we will continue to talk to the same group of people. Um, the second thing, again, in terms of um, uh, services and, and the gaps, I guess, that tailored, Kim, you mentioned about tailored uh, support. Um, each, each and every one of us, uh, we're all different, and you know, the way we live our, li live our lives are very different, and um, I guess uh, to, to make it more inclusive, um, I guess there's some... I mean, it's important that we, it's, 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 it's good if we have that um, personalized support, we can access, uh, we have access to that personalized um, assistance and tailored support um, that's also accessible and affordable.
I'll just add again, um, I guess my experience is a bit different um, arriving with a good level of English and being and keen to make friendships. But I would add to you know everything that you guys said that to also step outside of the multicultural community space and 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 that happened to me quite naturally. Um, but I felt like I was able to build, um, you know, as I said before, a network of friends that became business connections and, and networks that expanded my um, my reach. So that happened in a in a broader Australian community, and I feel like they, you know, we have global, fresh creativity and perspective that we can that we can offer. And I think if we can hold on to that value um, and and remember that you know it may. I think we we all have had experiences of discrimination. If you come from another country, you know that that can happen. Uh, it is an issue, but I think the majority of um, the community in Brisbane they're excited and open to hear what we have to say and to experience our products and services. Um, so it's also stepping outside that that kind of immediate um, obvious space and remembering that we have a lot to offer. Um, I think someone said before, you know, we're not we're not taking resources, we're providing. We are resources. So um, to own that, um, yeah, that role, and, and to remember that we have we have that power as well. Yeah. Some great advice, Carolina. I'd love to hear from from everyone else as well to continue that advice. What advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs, uh, no matter where they come from? And are there any fundamental traits that you consistently see in, th in the successful or what may be perceived as successful entrepreneurs? One of the things that was talked about in the workshop today, so I'm going to kick it off with that, is the idea of resilience. I think that the startup journey is a long and uh, tumultuous one at times. Um, it's definitely not a straight path from A to B. Um, there's a lot of stops along the way and, and changes in the road. So I think being able to stay focused, we've talked a lot also about staying true to your mission and your vision, so setting that um, really strong purpose when you start, staying true to that and having that kind of in front of you day to day and being able to work through those challenges as they come, um, celebrate the highs, work through the lows and stay resilient through the process because it's not going to happen overnight. Um, it will happen one day and you've got to be prepared to kind of weather, weather the storms as you go. So continuing with the why, of course, I'm very um, committed to that uh, because that's your, your north. Um, once you, you have found that, uh, we all want to change, as they say, we all want to change the world and we, we all want to uh, produce like very massive changes in positive impacts uh, in larger communities, no? Uh, being that not really possible in the immediate uh, term, start by little, at least, st start by little. So the way we do it uh, in our social enterprise, uh, we identify high priority needs from uh, project A or project B. Those high, priori high priority needs that need urgent, urgent support from anyone, in this case us, uh, that makes a massive difference. So instead of aiming at the moon, yes, aim at the moon, at if you miss it, at least you, you will reach the stars now. So in our case, for example, um, one of the, the um, 
donations that we were able to provide to uh, girls in Myanmar is uh, mats, isolating mats. So because they were living in really harsh conditions, a very cold um, weather where th th in this uh, remote town in the north part of Myanmar. And they had no isolating mats to for their lunch. So if you, well, we were there volunteering for quite some time, so we knew that was needed urgently. So it's a matter, of, in that case, and I'll put a number, it was a matter of $350 or $400 that we donated through the community leader, our point of contact, mats. Simple as that. Overnight, you are producing a positive change in the quality of life of 400 children because they are sitting more comfortable instead of the cold floor. So yes, we want to change the world. Well, you need to start somewhere at the end. No? And in that sense, uh, following your north, commitment, uh, resilience, definitely, and passion, of course. The great, having the great attitude, if not, nothing will work. <laughs> Yep, um, self-care and strong set of values. I guess that's very it's very important to have these things established before anything else. Um, and um, with the resilience, you'll then be guided to, you know, to um, enjoy the rest of your journey. Um, uh, after that, just being able to be flexible. I guess um, be flexible and be. Um, um, and uh, embrace failures. There's going to be plenty of that. <laughs> yeah, we are going to fail. I guess the difference of, of reflecting back on resilience is um, whether you get back up again and you continue to drive that passion and commitment. I guess from my perspective, a lot of the, the people that I've seen that have succeeded are willing to fail time and time again, but also having the notion of having a clear why and a clear strategy implemented after the why. So not just having a, this is why I'm doing it, but actually spending time with what is the strategy. I guess people that have been really successful, um, and I'm thinking of some social enterprises that we've helped with, people importing coal from, and you know, selling coal now at Bunnings. Um, some real innovative thinkers and you know, people with a lot of passion. Um, the, the key differences being is, had a strong why I wanted to do it. Um, had a strong strategy in terms of the what and the how, but he, he really put a date to his dream. And w one thing I provide a lot of advice to people that come to me and saying, I've got this dream, I've got this dream. Um, I say to them, well, a dream stays a dream unless you've got a date. Because a dream with a date becomes a goal. And once you've got a goal, you can start breaking your goal up into steps. And that becomes your daily tasks that you need to do to achieve your goal. And if you take it then even a st step further back and you kind of break it up further, what are the different tasks you need to do? You kind of get to this notion of knowing what you need to do every day to achieve your goal, so your dream with a date. And before you know it, it just becomes habit. And what's the hardest thing in life to break is a habit. So what if we can build a habit by really putting just a bit of a date to a dream? And it's okay if you fail, because then you just change the date, and you cry a bit in the corner. It's okay. Um, but you can change your goal. You can change your dream because of experience. But if you don't put a date to something, it just stays a dream. 
Um, so I guess that was really one of um, you know that messages that resonate throughout you know the years of working really closely with people and saying just don't always just dream, but really put a date to it to start implementing some of those things. Um, I think one of the things I would like to add is um, to really to try and work with people you like. You know, to build that kind of. I, th I would say it's beyond professionalism. It's uh, to build almost like a, a common, an affectionate common ground with the people you work with, um, especially if you're doing mission-driven business, right? Who we are and what our hearts and our values is such an important part of our everyday and what's important to us. So, um, yeah, one of the things that I, I keep coming back to in this seven years, you know, working with all kinds of people is that the most meaningful work comes from those relationships that I truly value and that I feel like I built um, almost like a, a friendship, an affectionate relationship with those clients. Um, and it impacts my life, their lives, and then the project becomes more meaningful and, in, and the impact is greater as well. Yeah. There's some fantastic insights there. Is anyone from the audience, would anyone like to add to that? Hi, my name's Chelsea. I'm the founder and director of FlexiFlow. We activate learn, uh, creative learning communities. Um, in my experience as an entrepreneur, it's taken me a few years to shift into this mindset, but I call it possibility thinking. Um, it comes from like uh, really understanding that failure, if you can reframe failure as feedback, you can actually adapt your actions and your way of doing the business. Um, so it's responsive to what's presenting. And this kind of relates a little bit to Theory U, which talks about emergence practice in business. So this is like um, not going too far into your dream, but starting with micro steps and seeing what the response is and what emerges from your experience. But yeah, I really think it's important to re have little mantras. And one of my mantras is see failure as feedback. Um, yeah, and possibility thinking. It's wonderful. Anyone else? Hi, it's um, Evelyn from um, Lily and Lord. I'm the founder and creative director of an um, ethical and sustainable fashion brand. Um, I'm just thinking about my time when I was migrant a long time ago. Um, I think starting a business is hard for anyone, whether you're migrant or not. Um, and I remember in the early days, I would just try to get a job in an industry that you want to start a business in, just to get experience, uh, just to learn a system, even something like tax is so complicated in Australia. And uh, the way business is done, how it works, how a transaction works. And if you can't get a job, just offer your time for free. And that's what I did. I just volunteered and just learned and made connections that way. And I think if you can prove that you're of value, and you learn very quickly too, and there's really no chance of failing because you're not really it won't go on your resume and you haven't put any money down to start a business, but you've gained a lot just by uh, volunteering in that industry. And I think that will help, you know, it will be the building block to maybe getting a more permanent job or starting a business eventually. So that's sort of from my own experience. Yeah, I, I love that you said that um, because that's a strategy to get your foot somewhere and, and do some, yeah, volunteering and not making any money. Um, and I think on the other hand is to remember that you are allowed to have another job while you start your business. So I worked in retail part-time uh, my weekends, you know, I was um, working on a retail shop because I didn't want my passion to be compromised because I couldn't afford rent or my bills. So also to remember that it's absolutely fine to, um, for as long as you want, you know, to keep that side solid, stable income coming through. Um, and 
one, you can do the leap you know, and move full-time. It's such a, a great um, achievement when you can get to that point. So, um, yeah, just it's very hard financially as well. So we just wanted to mention that because we're talking about, you know, vision and passion and beautiful outcomes and impacting positively the world. But then, you know, there's, there's that kind of first initial issue that is how do I support myself when I am running a business? And the, I, I guess the answer is you have a side job. Or you keep your full-time job. Um, yeah, I think yeah, either having that, that side job or exploring the possibility of a business while you're still working your full-time job. You know, if you've got a bit of a passion, I think Evelyn made a great point that, um, like, I know from my journey starting my social enterprise is as much as I would love to have done it maybe earlier in life, I knew that I wasn't ready for it until the time that I started it. And I actually have had a great deal of support starting it from the previous organisation I used to work with, um, who have contracted a lot of services from me because I had those networks and had that support. Um, so, you know, if you've got an idea, there's no reason. You, it, it takes a bit of extra work and, yep, you're going to have some long nights and some big weekends. But if you've got a full-time job, you know, it doesn't stop you from exploring it. Use the finances you've got from your full-time job to help you get it up and going. So you can do either, yeah, stay in that full-time job, do the side hustle, or you can keep the kind of side job and throw yourself into it. And, you know, that's, that's reality. I guess just building on from what uh, Kim has also mentioned, as an external but also, you know, being part of Kim's social enterprise a tiny bit, uh, Kim used to work for Access Community Services and having the privilege to have seen Kim grow her social enterprises has been fantastic. And it also reminds me of the point of we, which we discussed in the workshop of this whole notion of a minimal viable product. Uh, a lot of the barriers that people have discussed is saying, you know, having startup capital and funds and I need to have all this ready before I can start the business. And I'm sitting next to a person that, you know, started a social enterprise right out of her, you know, house. And, you know, and it's, and while doing another job and, you know, numerous individuals that have worked in this space have really started from nothing. And if you're wondering what this term minimal viable product means, go to Google and ask Google what the first iPhone looked like um, as a minimal viable product. And it might start making, make, it'll, might start to make some sense in saying, you might not have all the gadgets and all the apps that link to each other or all the technology, but if you're able to really portray your product, like Kim did when she was even working at Access and really testing the market, you know, will this work? Do people care about this as much as I do? Um, then you can really get that feedback, as mentioned before, and say, right, people like this, um, before you make all the investment. Unfortunately, we're out of time. So I'd like to thank our participants and our panelists, of course, for all of your insights and, and contributing uh, to the conversation with your experience today. Thanks so much. Let's give yourselves and ourselves a round of applause and appreciate your time today. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.